Welcome to another installment of Packy Chat. This is episode number seven. And first time we're having on a different guest, other than just the four of us. Uh, we've invited a, uh, a friend, a colleague with us, uh, someone who's been in the animal business for uh, many years, but is relatively new to the world of elephants. She um, took a position several years ago uh, in which uh, elephants are now her problem. So we just invited Christina on to see what she thinks, see if it's uh, all it's been cracked up to be, all that she's ever uh, wanted a life of elephants to be like, uh, and just kind of hanging out and talking about elephants. For all of you that have been listening and joining us every week, we, we really appreciate it. I uh, hope you're telling your friends. I uh, really like to get more listeners, more uh, more people out there listening to Packy Chat, the better. If you haven't followed us on Facebook yet, please do so, Packy Chat on Facebook. Um, but thanks for listening this week, and let's get to it. I know that I know that you're old and been in the business a long time as well, but you're new to the world of elephants and just kind of wanted to get your take on one if you if you if it's everything you thought and dreamed it was <laughs> and, and, and you know two, the nightmares I had that's right and I, well, that was I guess the second thing or two or is it giving you nightmares <laughs> well and I feel like I know everybody like laughs when I say this but I feel like I like tangentially knew the elephant business from living with an elephant uh, keeper and manager so I think like I was well acquainted with the personalities, shall we say, and the general tone of elephant folk and management. Also the drinking ability of elephant folk. I was familiar with all those things. Um, so yeah, I don't think I wasn't, oddly enough, I don't think I was ever nervous and I never really felt um, intimidated or anything like that. I think having, you know, an elephant manager that had a ton of experience and knows everyone in the industry. Uh, I think when I first met all of you guys um, and we went to that workshop, like, I think that was really good to have Cecil with me. To have um, him with me for that because, I don't know, was it like a vouch? It's like a different kind of vouch though, right? Because it's Cecil vouching for me, which I feel like that means something else. But, um, yeah, I just always, I always felt very comfortable and welcomed, but also knew that the elephant world had changed significantly since I was last familiar with it, which was, you know, 2005, probably. Um, and so I knew there was a lot to learn, that's for certain. Still is a lot to learn. Do you think, do you think as far as like, programs go not not specifically your zoo program but the population program um what are your thoughts on that i mean coming from someone that manages a population <laughs> that's much more i mean robust than this is um and having dealt with other populations as well the elephant population is interesting it is interesting and i don't think i even clearly understood probably until this year the four years into it that like literally elephant SSP does not make recommendations <laughs> like period. It doesn't happen. Cause I was like, Oh, I, you know, at the meeting, I figured we would talk about who had what, and what was available. What would be utilized for the people that were there to talk about needs and big picture stuff and things like that. And I think, um, I was surprised by, um, how it's just not the case. I mean, it's quite different than any other population management. And playing devil's advocate, I wonder if it was managed more like a traditional population, if we could start to see some momentum and movement on some of the um, population issues that we're having. Because, well, we talked about this. I think zoos have to be able to change their perspective of like, these are our elephants and they only live here and nobody can have them, to what does the population need and how can we achieve that? But if you don't, if the SSP has never been a place that's told people what to do with their elephants, like, you know, the EEP, IAZA, they tell people what to do with their elephants all day long. And, like, they have to approve the moves and all that stuff. And I feel like it'd be interesting to try to compare those two management styles and see what the pro cons would be. Well, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, that it's managed that way? I mean, because I have... I think it's, I mean, I think it's tradition, right? I think elephants are expensive. 
I think it's the last, other than maybe giraffe, the last holdout on animals that are like outright purchased for a lot of money and zoos feel like this is mine, I own it and I'm not, I'm not give, sending it anywhere or giving it to anyone. And I think that was true for lots of animals, even 15 years ago, 10 years ago. But I think the more we talk about sustainability, the more we talk about, you know, people having, zoos having to do certain things, I think that elephants because they're just you know they're tricky and they're complicated and they're huge and they're they there's so many layers i think it's hard for people to change their minds about them um, yeah well i think part of it too is and this is my this is my opinion based on what i know so when it comes to the sustainability piece obviously it's a mess right so that frees up a lot of opportunity and the genetics also aren't necessarily problematic because I mean, at this point, the sustainability is so bad and the breeding is so low that there's a lot of, it's not as, uh, there's not as many constraints on who must breed with who. So I think because of those two reasons, there's, there's an assumed flexibility that everybody has. But then because there's a flexibility, nobody is, um, there's, there's, it's weird. There's, there's a lot of flexibility and no urgency, but the flexibility is because there's urgency and there's a lot of opportunity. Does that make sense? We don't have to manage the genetics as hard. There's right. room. And so I think it, 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 there's, there are different issues with it. We don't have to manage it as, as tightly as far as that goes, as far as recommendations, because we're not really worried about places bulging at the seams, right? right. But because we're like that, it, it presents a different set of problems where everybody's kind of lackadaisical about it. Right. Like I would kill for the genetics, right, for other populations that um, I'm involved with. I'd kill for those genetics, but... Um, yeah, I think the actual, I think that's a perfect way to say it. I think there's no, for whatever reason, there doesn't seem to be the pressure, right? So like 20 years ago, everyone sat down at that conference and was told this can't last for another 50 years. So it's been 20 years since then and literally nothing has changed. And so I don't know where that urgency comes from, but it reminds me a little bit of Black Rhino SSP, right? So for forever, Black Rhino SSP kind of you moved them when you wanted to and maybe if you could and whatever and people didn't for all sorts of reasons. And then it was short lived, lived albeit, but the whip got cracked and it was like, no, everyone get on board. If you're gonna be part of this SSP and have black rhinos, you gotta be on board. And we moved a ton of rhinos over two years everywhere and then upped the birth rate by two or three a year. So like it's significant when you can get people to do it, but still a rhino isn't an elephant. Who, who cracked the whip? Um, so, the SSP coordinator cracked the whip there. But so my question would be is, so what's the reason? So for me, like just in the situations I've been in, you know, there's only so many breeding females, right? And the places that have them don't want to give them up, right? Because that's kind of the heart and soul of their of their program, right? And so that's where I think the the whole recommendation thing is a little light because you know you couldn't tell me to move out one of our breeders to send her to a to another institution where you know you, there was no guarantee of breeding and there was no guarantee that the bull was good you know that kind of stuff and it's like well why would I do that when I'm having success where I'm at and so I just think I think people are a little for lack of a better term stingy with their elephants <laughs> because because the 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 resources and everything just aren't there you know they're just not there and I think I, hopefully in due time when there are, you know, you talk about Europe, they have an excess of elephants, right? So I think when we get to the day where it's somewhat sustainable, I think people will share a little bit, but um, I'm just speaking from, from my own experiences. Um, it, it's it would been really difficult for me and it still is um, to give up a breeding female to an unknown right. um, situation, you know? And then I just think the older ones, you know, people, um, well, we can get to the older ones later, I guess. But that was just, that's just my thought as far as like that. There's just not that many breeders. So, I mean, I just don't think that's why people aren't even making recommendations, right? But even like, I guess like even not an unknown facility necessarily, but one like that has one or two breeding bulls that have bred before or good at AI or whatever. Like there shouldn't be a breeding age female at one institution, like one female at one institution and then we spend a half million dollars trying to get them pregnant with AI. Like 
they could have had three calves over, you know, the period of time it takes for that to happen in certain scenarios. And I think if the zoo directors were on board with this concept of like, we'll do whatever we have to do to make the population sustainable. You show us the plan and we'll do what we got to do. Because if you're a smaller institution and you want to have elephants because you want to have elephants for all the reasons we all want to have them, then yeah, you can have three or four older cows if you want. Like you can have a herd of elephants, but if you've got one breeding female and no bulls and nothing else there, like, because also I do think that there's something to be said for managing them as groups, you know, like, well, like all of you guys do and have done in the past and having enough elephants to create that herd environment, whether they actually be related or not, I don't think actually matters as much as some people say it does. But um, again, I just, but like that, I feel like if I was a director and had one breeding female elephant and I'd spend much money on AI for forever and somebody's like, well, send them somewhere if you want. I'm not going to do that, right? But if someone lays out for me like, here's our five-year plan for Asian elephants, it's going to require these moves, here's the puzzle pieces, but it's going to result in this, then maybe I would listen. So I have a question for you. As a population manager, do you think it's, because, you know, there's, let's take Asian elephants, for instance, there's about five or six facilities that have like good breeders and, you know, have good breeding programs, right? Um, but, and, and all the kind of the breeders are at those facilities, right? Um, do you think that's a good idea to kind of stack the deck that way? Or do you think it would be better for, um, you know, there to be, say, say you had six facilities that had two breeders each or 12 facilities that had one. Does that even make sense? It does. I think, I think more and more because of space issues, you stack the deck. I think that it makes more sense to stack the deck. I don't know if the deck needs to be stacked as short as the Asian elephant Well, there's no females, right? Okay. <laughs> that's that's but, the issue. Like, if you have one or two breeding bulls and then two breeding cows, and like, you know, as they produce offspring, there's a potential for those offspring to breed with the other bull later. Or if we just were to move bulls more, you know, just like get them moving kind of a thing, then you can keep your herds of cows and offspring. Because I do think it makes sense once we are able to, to break those groups off, like whatever, every 10 mm -hmm. years, 15 years, break off a few and send them somewhere else. And then there's another breeding institution. Like you can build them up, but I think you have to start with them to do it. And then, I mean, I'm not even going to mention EHV right now, but like, um, that's assuming everything else, all you need to do is have the male elephant with the female elephant to make, to make babies. Like, right. but we don't even have that. Well, it's, just, <laughs> it's interesting too. We don't have that. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting too because AI created a different, a totally different dynamic in how we manage elephants. I mean, obviously, you guys know. In years past, we used to move more elephants around, even for temporary. You know, people would move females to males um, for breeding, and then we basically move them back. You know, after they were bred. So AI created a different scenario where it, it was like, oh, well, good. We don't have to do that anymore. We can, we can just AI. Now, we also know that AI is not, um, I don't know, as, as guaranteed or as successful as natural breeding in most cases. So, so it, it's interesting because it gave us more tools, but it, 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 again, dropped the urgency down a little bit where, okay, well, we'll just try. So one is... If you're trying, great. If you're you know, utilizing AI, great. There are some institutions who aren't, whether it's because um, they just don't do it or, you know, uh, you have a, let's say you're continuing to concentrate on, on natural breeding, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, you know, what do you do if you, if you run into lack of success with natural breeding? So it's interesting because it gave us a whole different uh, a tool at our disposal, but it also then dropped the i don't know i guess the the motivation or the need which which i think is valuable because to move animals because we've looked at you know there's people who've done studies on whether it's good or bad to move animals around and how much and all that so i think it's great that we don't necessarily have to do that anymore but i do think we need to establish what a base level is for that need because for instance even the the breeding and transfer plan that's come out or coming out recently i don't believe um there's any 
suggest or any recommendations for moving any animals. I don't think, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I know there's a couple potentially available for, for move if people want them. Um, but there are no recommendations at this point. So w what does that mean? I think one is if we utilize all the tools appropriately, then we don't have to do that, which I think is good because it's expensive and logistically challenging. And, you know, there's a certain level of stress that goes along with it. We all get that. However, that means we need to hold our feet, each other's feet to the fire to make sure we're doing all those other things so that that's not um, necessary, I guess. But the fact that we're not recommending it is great on one hand, but on the other hand, it also means we have to step it up on the other side and get these things done and use all those tools to, to keep the sustainability piece moving. And that's, that's sort of the conundrum. Right. Like I think, for example, I have a theme of technically breeding age cow that I am willing to move somewhere because, you know, it's not working where we are of natural breeding. And we've been told with what's not working with natural breeding, then AI probably won't work either. So like, you know, just find somewhere else, you know, find somewhere else for her and give her a last shot. But even that, I would think it's the SSP, again, I guess that's these plans, some visual. So I like picture giant post-it notes on a wall with, you know, everyone's names and the elephants and you can move them all around. And I think that even so, if an institution says, hey, I'm willing to move this female, um, I would, I was surprised that the SSP didn't have like, okay, well, here's some leads. This seems like a good fit. That seems like a good fit. Da, da, da. There, there's the nothing. It was like, all right, we'll mention it and decide what you want to do with her. And I'm like, that's, I, it's weird. It's just weird is I guess, I guess how I feel about it. Like it's, it's very odd to not have an SSP giving you at least some sort of direction or guidance or like, here's your top three options or anything like that. And I know genetics aren't an issue, so that's fine, but there's also like, facility size and success and bull success and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. The, and the hard part though is there's, you know, unlike a lot of different species, there's a whole bunch of politics that go along with, with elephants and whether it's, you know, management stuff or what you said earlier is there's like an ownership piece and maybe there's a, you know, I don't know, a community that uh, is in love with their elephants or something like that. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of layers to it. I'm not saying that any are necessarily, you know, good or bad. It, to me, it's just it's how it affects the goals and our, our ability to meet the goals. So it's just hard. You know, I, I agree with you. It, it is hard because we want to be doing the best that we can. And, and there's only so much you can do, frankly. You know, I mean, and, and because there's so much opportunity, I guess there's an assumption there that people are largely doing what they're supposed to be doing. And we know that reproduction is generally low and calf interval can be pretty long and all those things. So I guess there's an assumption. And then every time we have these meetings or we talk about where we are as a population, we're like, Oh, Nope, we're in the same place. That's okay. Let's, let's do it again. Let's have this conversation again. And I think we need to stop, you know, we, I don't know. I don't know what the teeth are, you know, if the, if these recommendations or these, or, you know, the sustainability, the poor sustainability, you know, I don't know who has the teeth to make these things happen, but I think we do have to, you know, establish what a baseline level is and do some, you know, un quote unquote uncomfortable things to get animals where they need to be or concentrate animals. Or if there's a group of people who continue to lead the way in breeding and are doing a great job, maybe, I don't know, maybe more animals have to cycle through those institutions. I don't know. But at some point we have to, you know, really wake up and see what's going on and then we need somebody and I don't know who the best person is for that to really lean on everybody to do what we're supposed to be doing I don't think anybody's doing anything um, with an ill will you know or or malintent the problem is is that not understanding the the collateral damage of the choices you make and how big a deal that is is truly recognized I guess or be, if you're not reminded of it you know, more than once, a, once or twice a year, then it's, it's not something that's on the front of mind. So, but again, because there's a lot of uh, logistics and expense and PR and everything that goes along with this, we got to be proactive because, you know, nothing with these, with these animals can be done in minutes or days. I mean, there's a lot of planning and things that need to be done to uh, accomplish these goals. So again, I don't know what the answer is, but I just think we need to more than once or twice a year, we need to talk about this and, and, find some accountability somewhere. I think the accountability needs to start at the top because I think a lot of the elephants that don't move are because zoo leadership doesn't want to move them. They've invested a lot in them. 
Um, the, the community knows probably one of the few species, I'm sure they know gorillas and some other things, but you know, tell me a zoo, a city that has elephants where the people don't know the names of the elephants. You know, some of these elephants have been at, zoo, at the zoo since they were, since these people were kids. So they know them by name and, and that makes it difficult to put a PR spin on it to, to move in an elephant like that. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying, I think that's part of it. And the other thing is, is I think people 15 years ago or so, we, we were all told, Hey, we need to decide if we're going to be breeders bull holding or, or just hold old elephants. And a lot of places said we're going to be breeders and they went and did built new facilities. And then we're told there's no elephants to fill those facilities with. So unless we do some sort of an import, um, like they did with the Africans, which I don't think is going to happen anytime real soon uh, for Asians. Um, I think this is a, the, as a dying population and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about moving elephants and, you know, how do you put, who do you put elephants with? Um, and that's a tough question. You know, I, I think moving males would be a great thing to do, uh, cycle, circle males around and have different males breed or do AI or whatever it is, but moving females, unless you're moving, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, like a small family group, a subset of those elephants of that group. I don't know that I'd be in favor of just moving a single female. Um, there are single females I'd move, but I'm talking about from a group, a breeding group. You're not going to move, you know, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to jeopardize what's there by just moving a single elephant. Right. From like a natural history perspective, I think it makes sense to move the bulls. Right. And I think again, if you have a plan, so for all of that, for everything you just said, like for those zoos, those communities, those, you know, leadership that are attached to the elephants, if you have a strong plan, like a 10 year, 20 year plan, then I think people have room to get behind it. Right. Because then it's like, okay, well, we're going to move Sally to Las Vegas because um, there's a great herd there and she's going to breed and we'll miss her, but then we'll get updates from Las Vegas. And then Sally had a baby. And like, you can, there's ways to do all of that. Um, if people know what the long-term plan is and if they know that they're helping to save elephants by doing it, I mean, definitely there are still people that would push back. But I think, for example, like I know of a zoo whose bull just isn't a natural breeder, just isn't, you know? And that animal could live at a bull's facility, still participate for AI, and then you could have a natural breeding bull at that facility with all the females that are there. Um, but because of how much money that bull was purchased for 20 years ago, the same people are still in charge and the same people are like, nope, come on. <laughs> like, it's like, what's the money out of your pocket? Let's go. And so, but I think, I think that the biggest hurdle for getting everybody, anybody on the, even close to the same page in the same book or chapter even, is that there's not a plan. There's a list of all the things that are problems and there's a list of things that we need to change, but there's not a like, here's what we're trying to do and we need everybody on board to get there. Like that just doesn't seem to exist in a way that you can really kind of hold on to and use for any of these conversations. Yeah, and I, and I think there, there used to be something like that and I think it was, it was, and I'm not sticking up for or defending anybody, but I think, I think it used to be in place and it was, you know, zoos didn't follow what was recommended. They kind of gave up on it and, and then just finally said, fine, instead of us going through the trouble of, of trying to do what's best for the population, just tell us what you're willing to do and we'll make it, we'll try to make it work. That's where we ended up. That's where we're at now. Right. Yeah. Well, I think all we know is that this doesn't work, right? Except for the few institutions um, that, are making it work because of, you know, whatever, hard work and space and investment and all the stuff. Um, in general, it's not working, right? The, the like, we'll let people decide what they need for themselves and that will work out. Like, when does that ever work out in the world? It doesn't. Um, so I feel like I always call it Montessori style. I'm like, you can't like Montessori ma manage animals. Like it doesn't work that <laughs> way. And so, um, also, you bring up another point, you know, you said it earlier and it was said again recently is that, you know, we know what we have to do, which is capitalize on every potential opportunity. We also know that and we've said it earlier in this conversation that there are not many breeding females that are not already in breeding situations, right? So any animals that, that we get in, 
to this situation, North American population, to whatever degree, into different institutions that have the ability, willingness, and to breed, they're either going to come from uh, outside the current population, outside of this country, or, you know, maybe from private hands. So because there's, was said earlier, you know, with animals that are outright purchased, um, that's challenging on a bunch of levels. One, because I get, you know, we all get it. There's a market for them because they're a hot commodity. But on the other hand, you're talking about institutions that are generally nonprofit, generally aren't rolling in cash, certainly not going to be moving forward. And so how do we do that? So if we wanted to import animals from uh, a range country, that's big dollars. If we wanted to import uh, animals from, you know, uh, another zoo in Europe, that's still big dollars. So I think there needs to be more cooperation on both sides for two things. One is to still satisfy to some degree the what the market is, I guess, for these animals, depending on the situation, whether there's a desire to, um, you know, make some money on them or whether, you know, an institution just says, okay, I have too many animals, I got to get them out of here. So there should be an equal um, stake or responsibility to, to make sure that we're accomplishing the sustainability piece. And then all of this, well, you know, the receiving institution pays the shipping costs. Well, if you're trying to get animals the heck out of your institution and somebody else is trying to get animals into their institution, maybe, and we know that sustainability is a huge problem, maybe we change the rules to make it more attainable for everybody. You know what I mean? Like you get your animals out, you're not going to be paying that feed bill anymore. So, you know, typically, yeah, you wouldn't pay for transport, but this other institution is, you know, helping you solve a problem, taking on all these other costs, helping with sustainability, blah, blah, blah. How do we make that more palatable and attainable for, for, you know, these other institutions that might be getting them in? No. So anyway, so I, so I don't know if that makes sense and I don't want to go too deep into the politics of it, but you know, it's right now, you know, I'm at an institution that we are happy we would be happy to breed and, and bring females in that exist from somewhere that either can't, won't, whatever, won't be bred, can't be bred, too many animals, whatever it is. But, you know, th there are a lot of challenges associated with that, that if we could get some help or some, uh, I don't know, establish a different set of rules to, to help us participate at a, at a greater level without, you know, <laughs> without having to mortgage our entire existence, that would be helpful. You know what I mean? So my question would be, uh, you know, the carrying capacity or the, the, the target population was like, what, 220 or something like that, right? Um, somewhere in that range. Do, do we even have that capacity in our zoos that currently to manage 220 elephants? I mean, what they said at the meeting in January was that number came from a space study. So that number okay. was not based on genetics, right? Some populations look at the number they need to keep up a certain genetic um, viability, but elephants isn't that, or Asian, no, both of them, both African and Asian weren't that. They were just from a space study from 10 years ago, an institution saying how much room they have, um, or maybe seven years ago, something like that. Right. But, because what I think is interesting as well is in those models, those forecast models for sustainability, there's some different arrangements that show them being sustainable like 20 years from now, but it's a population of like 80 elephants. Like the number goes down to like, I mean, literally like five institutions holding elephants probably yeah and that was going to be my next question is you know are are they shooting too high you know because I've, I've always had the theory of you know eventually um down the road there won't be what's their 60 68 or something elephant facilities right now split between african and asian but i see that number as 40 right but the 40 have the 200 elephants. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of the way that I envision it is that you have lesser facilities, but they all have 15 to 20 elephants, you know, each. Right, right. Uh, but who has that type of space? Who has that type, those types of resources, you know, all of that. I think we need to do better, you know, it just, and not that this is a new thought necessarily, it just really popped into my head, but we need to do a better job of figuring out what we do with these facilities and who breeds and who doesn't. You know, because all of these things we talk about, you know, like I said earlier, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to take some breedable females and grow our herd and all that kind of stuff. But all of the conversations we have is, okay, well, can you take this male and this male too? Will you take this? Well, and, and the answer right now is no, not really. So could we, I think we need to look at all of these institutions that want to participate with elephants and figure out, you know, before we talked about other uh, off ramps for this, 
But one of the things is we need to look at these institutions that might have older females and say, hey, we need more bull facilities so that we can move these bulls reasonably to these other places. So we need other people to step up and say, I'll do that. Um, because I don't, I don't foresee us being able to manage all these bulls with the ability to breed. Or when they get to a certain age, we're going to have to move some of them. Clearly, we already know that. So how do we, how do we change the dynamic in these institutions to make that work? You know, I, I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's necessarily a problem of people willing to take males because we had this conversation in that bull management one. It's the fact that places that want them, I don't think are set up to have them. Mm-hmm. They got old females or they have facilities that I think males, when they get into to be teenagers, are going to destroy it. Um, and I think we as, a, as a, you know, the SSP community needs to hold each other accountable for that kind of stuff. Just because someone wants an animal um, doesn't mean their facility necessarily can accept it. No, and I, I, think, I think the piggyback on that comment is, uh, you know, you may have a facility, yeah, that has older females. So one, their facility is not ready, but the people may not be ready either. Because, you know, when you send some 15-year-old bull somewhere, you know, he's full of energy and, and everything that comes with a 15-year-old male, right? And, and I think sometimes that's where, where I would be a little bit hesitant, too, because are the people ready for that type of management? You know, they're used to, to managing old, old ladies, and, and then you get the 180-degree difference. Um, I think that should go into it as well. You know, you mentioned that you think there's facilities that want to take these males. Um, I think we all know that not, not all males are, are equal. Do we look at some – is there an issue that some of these other males that – or older, been around, um, but say they weren't as well socialized as some other animals. That could create a, a challenge as well, as you have these males that may not be able to go with other elephants, and then that really digs into your facilities and your resources, how are you going to manage that? Do you guys notice any differences between, um, you know, trying to take these males off? And it's not just a blanket statement, can you take a male? Can you take these specific males? Do you think that's an issue? I think, it, well, potentially, I think it's, two, it's twofold. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, depending on the individual. But also, like I said, uh, I'm reluctant or hesitant to, to take, you know, so, so if somebody offered me, hey, here's an animal and, or here's two breedable females, but you got to take this male and this male or whatever. It's, it's hard if they're well socialized and everything. That's one thing because it, do, it, it doesn't work against what I have available at my facility, if I take an unsocialized male or one that could potentially be problematic, it also reduces my capacity at my facility to do a lot of things. You know, it shrinks, essentially might shrink your facility or limit your flexibility. So it's, it's twofold because, you know, if I'm trying to grow a program to breed and to, um, you know, accomplish all the goals that we always set forth. So the, you know, multi-generational herd and sustainability and everything and breed to the maximum extent possible, it's hard to start to paint yourself in a corner before you've even begun that process by taking on these other males, especially if you don't know if they're going to even uh, hogtie you a little bit further because of their lack of uh, your lack of flexibility you'll have in managing those animals with that animal or animals with other animals. So it's sort of a two-pronged question. Either, either of which is, is dicey. I guess, you, you know, your situation, depending on the situation you have at your facility, whether or not it's going to be a minor inconvenience to take an unsocialized animal or it's going to really, really affect you poorly is, I guess it's, it's more, that depends individually. But I think both ways, for me, it's concerning. And I think there's, um, there's a willingness to roll the dice a little bit. Uh, I don't want to paint myself in a corner and then just be paralyzed. So it would depend on the situation, but there's multiple things to consider. So what I wonder though, is that to be devil's advocate um, and pick on you is, is that a little bit of the cherry picking we're talking about though, right? Like if you're going to hold elephants and breed elephants, like if it will all breed elephants if, and I'll take nice bulls and breeding age cows, but I don't want any of those other ones. Because, like, again, to be a sustainable elephant institution, you should be able to hold everything, right? And I know everybody's not there yet, but, again, if we're talking about 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, I know we said all breeding institutions should be able to hold one bull. Well, that doesn't even make sense because you already have your one bull for breeding, and then you're going to make more bulls. 
So like, I think. So you, or, well, or, or you, or you don't. So that's the, that's the whole thing. So I agree with you and I don't want to cherry pick, but I, but right now I have, you know, I have one potentially breedable female. I have one male who hopefully is a breedable male, but the other four animals I have in my population are older, not going to participate, um, have a sorted, uh, you know, sorted individual history when it comes to other animals and things like that. But I also plan on holding those animals for, I don't know, 10, 15 more years. So, yeah, I mean, cause I, so yes, to answer your question, I'm cherry picking a little bit, but it's based on what I have now. If my situation changes, that allows me f more flexibility, but I also don't want to create a less than optimal situation where then I take these breedable females and then I have to sit on them because I don't have any more room and I've completely destroyed my, my ability to, um, you know, flexible and all of the things that I had uh, available to me now are gone. And now I'm sitting on breedable females and like, why aren't you breeding them? And I'm like, well, now I can't, right. so I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah. So I, I hear you a hundred percent and I, and I don't want to be completely selfish, but I also have to, I'm trying to balance as best I can, you know, the sustainability piece, the participation piece, but also not having to walk into a situation every day and be pulling your hair out. Like now, what am I going to do? You know what right. I mean? I, I'm just saying that that's the complexity, right? Like 68 ah. institutions, and everyone feels that way to one degree or another for one reason or another. Um, and I remembered what I was going to ask you guys before. So when we talk about like maybe the whole thing needs to be, you know, burnt up and rebuilt and something like that. Oh, we didn't say that. I'm saying that. Um, do you manage the population separate? Do you have your geriatric population, your non-breeding population? And then you have your breeding population. And the bulls are obviously in the breeding population, so you still got to deal with that, like having too many bulls and what to do with them. But, like, do you just separate them and the institutions that hold the different ones? And obviously, your breeding cows become geriatric cows. But where we're at right now is we've got groups of non-breeding cows that, you know, are all cobbled together and aren't cohesive. Or they are right now, but they're not going to be in the future. So it's not like... So, for example, if you have a 30-year-old female right now who has two daughters, when she's 60, she'll still be fine. She'll still be part of that cohesive herd, and she can have a bull and youngsters and all sorts of people around her. But I feel like the ones we have now that have never been around calves or bulls, and they're in their, like, late 40s, to ask them to start doing that now just seems unreasonable and not maybe the safest, to Daryl's point. Like, you're not going to throw a 15-year-old bull in with three 50-year-old cows. Like, that's a bad idea. You know, again, going back to these bulls being an issue, say that we could wave a magic wand and solve that problem. For example, um, this could be a topic for another another uh, episode, but say we got sperm sorting down and we only produced females. We didn't have these males. Say that there's some very out of the box slash controversial thinking and say that we're going to manage elephants like we other people have done in other species that we have a male born we will um, remove them right away from the population so say that gets fixed do you think that's good enough with the current state of affairs um, we know that i think there's populations in europe that um i think they have major restrictions on breeding uh, of animals and it's only certain animals are allowed to breed because of the worry about getting these males. Um, are we there now just just solving this male problem, sperm sorting, removing them from the population? Is that good enough? And sorry if you guys already talked about this. What do you mean by if a male's born, you remove them from the population? That's my PC way of saying euthanizing it. Never happened in the United States. Never happened. Yeah, no, I agree with that, but I guess my point is, is that if we removed that male problem in, say we did by sperm sorting, not the other way, is that good enough? Are we there? And this will start increasing our sustainability. That's a, that would be a huge, huge, huge game changer and a leap forward. Absolutely. I, I think that would, that would change the game a lot. Like that would give me, like, for instance, I talked about my, my particular situation. If I knew with, I mean, I'm not going to say 100% certainty, but let's just say, for argument's sake, 100% certainty that if I took some, you know, breedable animals with males, and I knew that moving forward all I was going to have were females, that would that would completely change my my level of uh, risk aversion 
you know, and paint and the ability, and I guess the feeling that I would be painting myself into a management corner. Absolutely. That would be a huge game changer. Do you think there's many facilities in the same, in the same boat as you are, or you think you're the exception? Well, I don't know. Part of, part of my, part of what I'm considering though, is, is the animals that I have uh, currently in at my, my institution and one, and, and also on top of that is how they would fit into a, an expanded group and breeding. And the fact that even whether they did or they didn't, I know that I'm going to be, you know, hanging on to those animals for a fair bit of time yet, even though they're old or post-reproductive, they could, you know, still solve, excuse me, still um, have a really valuable place within the group. But I, you know, you need to hedge the bet that if they don't and you need to manage, you know, potentially separate herds, quote unquote, within your facility, those are all the things that I'm trying to plan for. But if I knew that it were just going to be female offspring, holy smokes, that would be, that would be a huge relief and, and open up a lot of potential opportunity. Yeah. But that, that said, it doesn't <laughs> anything from what I said earlier about the, you know, humongous uh, problem and expense of getting the animals to, to the facility where I work. That does, that doesn't fix that. But <laughs> to answer your question, 100% would be a game changer. But, but, the, but the reality of the situation, right, is that we're not doing that, right? So, I mean, the thing that I would say is, you know, my wife works with gorillas, and she talks about gorilla management and stuff, and obviously I only listen to about half of what she says. But, um, but you know, they're, re I think, required. So, again, don't quote me on this. But if you have a breeding group, you have to have a bachelor group. You have to have room for a bachelor group, right? And I've said that in the elephant circle for years, there's some places that do do that now. Houston does that, um, where they have a breeding group and they have a bachelor group. And I think that's what places need to start committing to, that if we're going to breed, we have to have a spot for these young males so they can socialize, so we can teach them how to be elephants, and then they can go and be their own breeder in their own group so i mean i think in the here and now i think that's the way we should be going obviously if we can sperm select and have everything come out of female yeah i mean who wouldn't do that right but i, don't, I just don't think we're there yet to go, to go back to what someone said earlier about the kind of rolling the dice on getting a getting a um an animal moved to their facility uh and taking up space and not knowing you know what what the outcomes would be I get that, and I think part of that, the reason that's even a conversation is because of where, where we've gone with the population over the last 15, 20 years. Like, I'm sure we all have that, <clears throat> excuse me, that same thought when you get in a rhino, you know, is it going to get along? What if it doesn't? I don't have room to hold one by itself or whatever it is. But that population is much more fluid and open, whereas if it doesn't get along, you know, a few phone calls and some emails in, in a couple months or a year, you got a new home for that animal and things are moving. We just don't have that here. And I think to go back to how this whole thing started, we need to come up with a way as an industry to be more open to moving animals with each other. And again, not even getting into the whole EHV side of it, because that might throw wrinkles in, you know, as far as moving in the age you move elephants or the age you, your herd is when you get elephants in. But nonetheless, we're not even open to moving elephants around. I mean, who's getting one in and not knowing, you know, what it's going to do to the herd or, or, you know, if it doesn't get along and you have nowhere to put it, I get it. But if, if everybody knew that there was an out, maybe, maybe that's something that maybe we could do that more often. Maybe we can move more often. And you're starting to see that a little bit in the African population because they're moving males around. They move them in. They don't get along. They move them on. And there is some some flexibility uh, in, in moving. And granted, it's through a small group of, of uh, facilities, but it's still something that I think needs to be looked at more as a whole than just kind of pockets of, of places. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, you know, and I don't want to seem like I'm trying to be too narrow-minded about this or, you know, cherry-picking or whatever, but I, I will tell you. I was agreeing with you too. Yeah, yeah, but, yo, absolutely. But the current situation, I don't want to get into too many of the specifics, but I can tell you right now, that there are, the, you know, what we talked about, the opportunities of what happens when your, you know, burgeoning herd needs to be split up. What I'm saying right now is that the opportunities that are arising are sort of splinter, splinter herds, not necessarily individual animals. So when I talk about what, what I'd be, you know, what you'd be left with is 
you know, the initial import of those animals into my facility would, would put us darn close to capacity, right? So there's two components. One is that would limit our ability to breed if we were, if the inn were full. The second part is I'm still trying to keep open, you know, the internal out, if you will, you know, an off ramp for if we have those issues, knowing that that could happen and accepting that that could happen. I just want to make sure that we wouldn't be upset, upset in the whole apple cart because we are at the point in some regard where, you know, the animals that are available are more, you know, nuclear splinter groups off of larger herds. So that's the consideration. If, you know, if, if, it, if the situations were a little different and we were talking about single animals or even pairs, that's even a different situation. But right now, you know, the, the animals that are being, you know, potentially offered up are, are, you know, nuclear splinter herds off of other groups. And that's, that's the part that challenges. If I, you know, if I had half the population of elephants at my facility, then that makes, that's, that's a lot easier, you know, because I know that just by sheer numbers, I can handle stall space and yard space and all those things. It's just, it's just what happens when, you know, you paint yourself into that corner and then you're not able to participate anymore. That's the, that's, that's the place I don't want to be. And then you have a, a staff who's saying, how did we get here? You know, we can't even move this animal past this animal or we don't have enough room. And, you know, when winter comes, it stinks because we don't have enough room and all those things. So those are all considerations in trying to be as um, responsible as possible on both sides, both to your, your facility, your staff, the animals you have, and then trying to help out with the, the bigger goals. That's, that's the balance that's tough to strike without looking selfish. But, you know, if we don't look out for our own individual institutions, you know, who's, who's going to, right? You know, those animals would come as a group. So, you know, like you said, they're nucleus. They, sh in theory, should get along, right? Um, but as we all know, the import's the hard part, right? Once they're, once they're in the U.S., then, then the game changes from that aspect too, doesn't it? You know, sending, you know, like we've said before, there might be a, a, a situation where a young bull can go somewhere else. Um, at the right time in his life when he still is, you know, malleable to that situation, you know? Yeah, there's just, there's just a number of years that you're going to have to, you know, in order to be as efficient as possible and, you know, play, play ball as best you can and meet those bigger sustainability goals, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have a log jam potentially for a while. And, you know, it's hard, you know, and I wish, I really wish my problem was there were so many opportunities you know and i could i could sift through them and try to figure out which one was the best of the worst or anything but right. there's there's a lot to go with it and and again not the least of which is the expense you know one is i you know it you know we have the sustainability goal and how many of us can afford you know like i said i can afford vet bills and feed bills but you know the the actual acquisition of the animals is you know most of these facilities don't have the liquidity to just go sure i can do that you know, that's, that's the hard part. So it's all a mix of what's the best thing for your facility from a, from a cost standpoint, from a management standpoint, from a future standpoint, that's, that's the hard part. And some of it, you have to do a little bit of forecasting and, you know, I don't want to be the one that people are, and that's not why I would or wouldn't do it, but you certainly don't want to make a, what you think is a good decision or, a, or even a, not take it seriously enough and then put yourself at a disadvantage later. That's, I don't know. I just don't want to be in that position either. But the risk reward as far as, you know, getting those animals in, that's a game changer for your zoo, right? Absolutely. And I'm saying, I'm saying in general, this is the whole population. You know, you have that opportunity. It's a game changer for what you do. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, we, we would be at full capacity and things like that. And it's like, for me, I'd be like, man, that's a risk I got to take, right? To oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, I, and, what I, and what, again, what, what I will say without getting too deep into the right. – and some of the things, you know, we probably know what we're talking about, other things we don't. But, you know, the, like I said, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of potential, you know, opportunities on the horizon, and they're even different. So, you know, one of the, you know, a lot of them come with um, more or less, you know, risk, I guess. But, uh, but the, the feasibility piece and the risk are the two things. And I, because I agree with you, I'd like to, I'd like, that's a problem I'd like to have. But then I don't also don't want to be the institution that says, you know, responsibly, look, now I can't, now I can't breed anymore. It would be irresponsible to breed anymore, you know, or then having to go down the road of, you know, these splinter herds or who goes and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Those are, those are the political, some political decisions and management decisions and, you know, who, what other institutions you can get to play ball with you, you know. As yeah, but, 
far as that goes. Yeah, but but I mean, if you're if you're at full capacity and you can't breed anymore, but maybe somebody else can. You know, maybe there's an institution out there that has that bull that's ready to breed, and you know, and then you just move the animal there. You know, but again, that goes back to what was said earlier about being open and and transferring animals as. Well, th that's that's very true, but then there's also the. You know, the I don't want to say just the PR aspect, but if I say, oh, well, this, you know, if I'm down to one, let's say I'm down to one breedable animal, now I'm going to move that particular animal away from her either natal group or nuclear group or whatever to put them in a breeding. I, I get that if we get to that situation, those are hard decisions that could potentially be made down the road. But, you know, as we said before, is that there's there's collateral damage potentially that comes with that. And, you know, and part of, part of the sustainability is, you know, having groups that are, that are as uh, well adjusted as possible. So, you know, cranking out, and I know I'm not, I'm not certainly not saying anyone on this call has uh, any assumptions that this is okay, but, you know, I also don't want to create a situation where we're uprooting individuals lives either. Cause what's the point, you know, if we, if we can't have, we're just going to look at it from sheer numbers perspective, you know, that's part of it. But also the other perspective is, is I want to have well-adjusted, you know, nuclear quote unquote normal um, herds. And if I have to start pulling out singletons to move out to maximize our numbers, and I don't know what that's going to do. And that would be a, that's a, that, that would be a tougher sell from a, from even a PR standpoint. So it, there's, it's so complex, but the, the problem is, is as we talked about even in the beginning of this call is there's so many things that are up for debate at the moment and there's very low um, accountability. So this is why all of these things are, are conversations and things to ponder. If we had clear direction and marching orders and we had to do these things, there'd be less to talk about. But with the amount of latitude that we have we, the collective we as, a, as, an, as an industry, that's why things, if they don't happen, you know, so what? I mean, so what means we don't achieve the sustainability numbers and meet the goals that we're trying to meet, but the rest of it is yes, so, you know, there's nothing else. There's no other consequence. You know, I'm in the same boat in my facility. If somebody said to me, um, here's a group of five females, go ahead, you can take them. Um, that's not an automatic go. That's not an automatic yes, because you can handle that today. And somebody mentioned that, maybe you got to take that big um, leap forward and see. But um, the writing's on the wall. If you potentially take five more females compared to you have right now, um, you see that you're going to fill up. You see that you're going to have that issue. And so I'm in the same boat as you, thinking that um, it's not that sometimes it's not as simple as we're not breeding enough is that even if we had these animals show up on its own, I, I couldn't take a bunch uh, more. If I can, then um, I would need some backing. I'd need some backing to say, okay, not only from my facility that says we are going to split these animals up, commitment to make them. And I don't think everybody's ready to make those commitments that might not happen for five years down the road because the world changes so much. Is it, we're not building big enough facilities. Like, is that part of it as well that, whatever the numbers are, the bare minimum accreditation numbers, whatever, that, you know, if someone's going to spend money to build a brand new exhibit, you better be building an exhibit that can hold 15 to 20 elephants or whatever it might, or, you know, building whatever it might be depending on your climate. Because it sounds like if we succeed, right, the goal of everything we've been talking about is to be successful and sustainable and have a lot of elephants. And that's, we can see that's what Europe has accomplished to one extent or another. Um, but they don't have enough room because they have the same thing. All their facilities are, were built to hold five or six elephants, you know, and maybe one bull. Um, so like, you know, when we talk about marching orders or there has to be a philosophy, like everyone's not going to agree with whatever that philosophy is. But I think, I mean, I, for one, think that it'd be easier to, to sell and to say, like, okay, my zoo, like, if you want elephants, we got to have 10 acres minimum. We have to have 40,000 square foot barn minimum. We have to have this and that. And you either say yes to the elephants or no to the elephants. I know that can shoot us in the foot a different way in theory with space, but thus far in the world, there's always a handful of people that have the money and space to do that. And so maybe that means 
your city doesn't get elephants anymore. Or then that's back to my original, my, one of my other comments I made about like, do you manage them separately? Do you have your six elephant or less facilities and they handle bulls and geriatrics and then you have your 15 plus elephant facilities and they get all the breeding animals and the bulls rotate through them and you create that divide. Um, the space and flexibility, if we succeed at what our problem is right now, that will be our next problem. And I don't know if you don't get to worry about that right now because you know, it's getting ahead of yourself or if that's all part of the uh, overhaul, you know, of I, the plan. I think, it's, I think it's part of it. And one of, the, one of the issues right now is if we wanted to start from scratch and everything, that might be a way to do it. But I also think part of the problem is, like we talked about earlier, the, the accountability isn't there. So we haven't yet maximized our current ability to do things. And part of it is because we've never held people's feet to the fire to do things that, you know, I don't want to say that are completely distasteful or they're philosophically completely against. But on the other hand, I don't think that we've yet maximized our ability to do that. So, for instance, when we talk about the bull situation, if we had, a, if we had, more, if we had more Birmingham's and Denver's that could take animals and we had other, you know, I guess free rooms at the inn that we knew were coming, these breeding facilities could know what to do, right? And, and the point of taking on a, a young male is, is changing the expectations. What was said earlier about, you know, these facilities taking young males and running these older females ragged or whatever. Maybe, that's, maybe there's a, a process where you're changing. So for these facilities that want these young males, is, there's less of a, of, a, of a urgency to put these animals together. And maybe you're, you decide that you're uh, participation in the bigger picture is, is different. So you take that first male, right? And then you hurry up and decide to take your second male when you can. And then you're, you change, you know, you're changing to a bull facility. I don't know. Again, I, that's an oversimplification of a, of a, of a relatively complex process. But if we had other facilities that got on board to say, well, that are just sort of teetering and, and, you know, right now just treading water with some non-reproductive animals, you know, maybe if we said, no, no, this is what we really need. Will you, will you commit to this? We could start that way because again, the, the, I don't think we've maximized the spaces that we currently have because there's been not really a push to do it. We understand what's at stake. We understand what the goals are, but the actual push and the knocking, knocking institutions um, out of their, their comfort zone so that we can accomplish these goals has not yet happened. Well, I mentioned an interesting point is that, um, um, you know, people aren't building places big enough, um, but what size is big enough? Um, I said before that I don't think I could take five elephants. In addition, they might be pushing it. And uh, somebody might come in and say, yeah, you have enough space um, to do that. Um, if we want to work the numbers, is so many per square foot per elephant, and that goes to that whole rabbit hole about what's enough space. So we, we talk about carrying capacities, and I think carrying capacity is just like the sustainability thing is so complex. Carrying capacities can be complex as well. Can you take five more elephants? Depends. Depends if they get along with the elephants I have right now. Depends if they continue to get along for the rest of their life. So it's even hard saying that we're not building facilities big enough because it's not crystal clear how big they should be in order to make a um, – instead of going way off, you know, thousands of acres or hundreds and hundreds of acres – um, kind of extreme when we talk about the realistic, the realistic opportunities that we have to expand our footprints for elephants. It's not really black and white. This many, um, the space will be able to take this many elephants. So in the future, you could take this and you'll be able to handle breeding for the next 20 years. So back to the, the point about, you know, if somebody offered me five elephants, I don't think I could take it right now. I think this is where, you know, as a, looking at the whole population, we would need to say, okay, well, maybe the place that has a couple older non-reproductive females, can you take them and we can move these five to this place and see if we can start a breeding, a breeding group there? Um, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can't, but at least it's moving elephants somewhere to give them, to give a chance to, to start doing something. And granted, the place with the two old females maybe doesn't have a facility to hold five or the staff to do five or whatever. But, you know, I think, I think we, by saying however many years ago, you know, you're either going to be a breeding facility or you're going to manage old females. We, we created a problem with 
facilities. You know, facilities are like, well, there's no point. We're just going to be, we're just going to manage to extinction. So we're not going to put any money into, into expanding what we have and hold these elephants. And then there, and then there's instances where they have two elephants, one dies and they're left with one and they have to do something to get, um, to get another elephant in for a companion because this elephant's too old to send out, you know, to go somewhere else. So, I mean, we've created this problem and all I, it seems like every time I talk, I just talk about the problems we've created. I'm not much of a, I'm not very solution oriented today. I, I, I think the point of, of what I'm getting at is we need to do a better job managing the population as a whole. And while we, we, I think we all agree that in however many years, there's just going to be a, you know, there's going to be a lot less facilities and those ones that are holding elephants are going to be breeding facilities, you know, so maybe in, 20 years, there's only going to be a handful of places with elephants, but those, those facilities are all working together to do what's right for the population. Cause right now we're not, we, we don't do that. And I don't see us doing it anytime soon. The, the second spin on this is, you know, people that don't are going to pick and choose where they send their elephants to. And I say that because I think if it ever came down to me moving elephants, I would be one of the picky, most pickiest son of bitches on this call to where I send my elephants to. So uh, that might not be my problem because that'll be after I leave, but I know that it's a problem right now in the, in the business. Um, and I, I may be part of the problem. I don't know. Um, that's even another uh point, right, is if we were to be able to be more cohesive and focused on a type of management and goals and a plan, then you wouldn't have to be as picky, I mean, about where you send them because everybody would be meeting those standards, right? So like, but yeah, I mean, I think with the different animal, different species populations where we've done that, like gorilla, for example, I mean... The gorilla tag has little mini teams for portions of the United States and they each have like three or four zoos and they're there to make sure they're holding the same standards of care across the board. So wherever I move my gorilla to, they're going to get the same type of training, enrichment, care, facility, blah, 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 blah. And so that's yet another thing. And I think, I think people don't like this conversation in general because if you don't agree with the narrow path that's created, then you know, you're prone to be like, screw it, I don't agree with it. But the only way to move forward is to get onto a narrower path. And so who decides that? I don't know. But I think, you know, that's probably the only way forward. Well, there's, there's a couple components, though. One is I agree. I mean, I, in my career, we've moved animals out to different places. And there were definitely criteria that I, I felt needed to be met. And some of them had nothing to do with necessarily management. So, you, you know, there are things that we need to change a little bit about like climate. I mean, there's some people that you'd be, you'd be excluded from consideration just because you are North of the Mason Dixon line, you know, and, and that's, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that that's entirely wrong. I think it definitely depends on the facility and what the amenities they have for the climate that they have, but that's a consideration that affects the ability to move animals around. But going back a little bit, what about if we said, you know, as we make recommendations, it's not just, hey, here's five elephants, can you take them? It's, hey, can you take these five elephants? And then we're already going to set up potentially the next move so that you know that if you're taking these animals for breeding and you're going to go through and breed, that you already have a potential next step lined up, at least in a nebulous sense, where you know what your, what your out is going to be once you, let's say you go through and you breed all those animals, regardless of the sex ratio that you end up with there's something set up to relieve some of that pressure, you know, because we know it's going to be multiple years down the road and there might be another facility that you can partner with from a, you know, I don't know, a facility or multiple facilities that give you options after you take those animals. One, because we know it's important. We got to rip the bandaid off and get some of these animals moved around and get them moving as far as from a sustainability perspective, but also people need to also feel comfortable that they're not going to completely debilitate themselves by participating, which is the, which is the craziest, you know, conundrum of the whole thing is that by you're actually going to make things worse potentially by following these recommendations and participating. So I don't know if there's a way to do that, that we don't have to do with either animals that don't live as long or animals that breed quicker or animals that are just less resource intensive and space intensive to, to manage. I don't know if that's another thing that we could consider as a, you know, from the, from an SSP perspective. 
you know, it's kind of crazy is that, you know, and that just this discussion, um, you know, there's so there's many layers every time, every five minutes, you know, somebody introduces a new layer, you know, talking about how picky we're going to move elephants uh, to what facility, um, you know, it was mentioned about the gorilla people. I don't know. It's, it just goes back to what episode number plug hashtag plug other, <laughs> other episodes about fractured in the community as well. You know, um, we go to these meetings to say we got to breed more, we got to breed more, and there's probably a half dozen more factors I've heard um, in just in this talk that I don't know if they always are as this many stacked up against. Elephant seems always to have the, the deck stacked against them. There's just too many complications, too much money, it's too fractured, community is everything, and it's even boiling down into the sustainability um, discussion. I've just it continues to fascinate me um, how complex and layered um, elephants get in anything we talk about. But also if we, if we boil it down though, and like you say, go back to those other episodes, if we, the things we talked about were, yeah, but if we could get more on the same page, there would be less concern, you know, clearly not from a climate perspective and a facility, physical facility perspective, but from a management philosophy and a training and ability to take care of animals, they would 100% be less to be concerned about. And that would take some of the pressure off because again, and whether we like it or not, we're trying to do the best we can by our animals, but that's also um, an example of our, our politics. And it, you know, it kind of stinks, but I feel like if there's, if there was a way to uh, even the playing field and we felt good about it, there'd be less to gripe about even as far as having to be picky. Thank you for once again, listening to this edition of Packy Chat. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Again, Packy Chat's all about just conversation. Take things you heard, uh, things that might work for you, and use them. That's great. Things you don't agree with, well, that's okay, too. We're not here to tell you there's one way to do it. We're just here to start conversation and have some thought. Once again, thanks a lot for listening to Packy Chat. We appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm.